You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. This is President Heather Mason. Thank you for listening. If you're a fan of our podcast, do us a favor, leave a review. It helps members of our industry find our podcast. This podcast is designed specifically for the bicycle industry. We're dedicated to strengthening our retailers and cycling community. Today's guest is master wheel builder, Bill Mould, a Columbia University and Yale educated scientist and engineer who served as a college professor, Air Force colonel, and civilian pilot, among other things. Before retiring into his passion as a master mechanic and expert in bicycle physics and wheel building. He has written a book on bicycle physics and engineering, has hand-built more than 6,000 wheels, and continues to study wheels through research, experimentation, and conversations with experts around the world. In the industry, we affectionately refer as Bill Mold Wheels. I had the pleasure to meet Bill at the Cabden Midwest Expo earlier this year, and it was clear from first conversation that we needed to have him as a guest. Without further ado, welcome Bill to Bicycle Retail Radio. Thank you, Heather. I'm so glad to have gotten to know you a little bit. You certainly don't like for energy, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think you do either, though. Bill, it's so nice to meet you just a couple weeks ago. And, you know, I have to be honest, I have heard about you, but myself, I didn't know about your deep background until doing a little bit more research. You know, I was on your website, on Facebook. And I always like to give our listeners just a little bit of insight into our guests. Can you tell us, you know, just where you're located in the U.S.? Sure. I work at Spokes, et cetera. We're a pretty big retailer in Northern Virginia. We have six stores and I'm in the uh, Alexandria store. And I, I have to point out, given this opportunity, the Spokes, et cetera, was one of uh, only eight bicycle dealerships in the United States to earn the NBDA coveted platinum award last year. So we're taking a little bit of pride in that. <laughs> you should be. You, Spokes, et cetera, just completely blew us away. Your community outreach, the way the store is run. The store is just super impressive and a great NBDA member. But Bill, your background is just so impressive. And I want to know, you know, wheel building is such a, you know, my father used to build wheels, but it was, it's an art form. How do you get so deeply involved in building wheels? Well, I started out as a bike mechanic and bike mechanics work on wheels, true wheels, rep repair wheels and things like that. But I learned how to build wheels and I really enjoyed it. And then my employer decided that we were going to develop a center of excellence around bicycle wheel building, and I was going to be the one in charge of it. So I took that and balled and ran with it, went to a number of schools and really dove into it, particularly the physics and the engineering aspects of it that intrigued me. And fortunately, I had the, the science and math education so I could jump in with both feet. Gosh, I'm thinking back to when I owned the shop and my mechanics in the shop and, you know, it was truing a wheel. I mean, the wheels seemed to me like one of the most integral parts on the bike and the time spent to you know, get a wheel completely true. And it, like I said, it's an art form. You've spent 6,000, you've built 6,000 wheels, Bill? Yeah, I built at least that number, right? Uh, you mentioning the, the truing stand reminds me of something that's always funny because it's not unusual for somebody who maybe has a truing stand at home and has a wheel out of true to decide to try to fix it themselves. And you can very easily make a small problem a big one if you don't know what you're doing. So with true. A stand. 
But once you learn its language, everything is totally predictable. But yeah, 6,000 or so. And there's myriad ways in which you can put together the components of a wheel, the hub, the rim, the spokes, the nipples, string them together, make a wheel. The optimal solution for a given situation is a matter of an informed judgment. And it takes quite a while to reach that point of informed judgment. There's no formula that will spit out the right answer. It comes from a lot of experience. Now, the wheels that I build, I'd like to say are strong, they're light, they're as aero as any other wheels, and they are certainly as, as much like that as any boxed pre-built wheels, but my wheels do not have any hard-to-obtain proprietary parts, and that's a significant benefit because that means they can be serviced by any small bike shop. That's a quite different situation from a wheel that is made with a lot of unique spokes or unique other parts and that no bike shop will have in stock and will take weeks to obtain a replacement part. So to me, it seems like proprietary parts in a wheel are a big headache for the customer and the, the shop. Mechanics in, in a bike shop will totally agree with that because they're the ones that have to make the calls, get part number, pricing information, and then order maybe a single spoke. So avoiding proprietary parts is a win-win opportunity. It's a win for the shop. And it's a win for the customer as well. Bill, I, I feel that I'm a self-proclaimed wheel girl. Like I am the girl who t- you know gets the bike out of the box and looks to make an upgrade. And I'm always looking at the wheels. And I remember we would have these wheels at the store where we'd have to order the one spoke and it would take forever to come in. But I want a good wheel. So I'm curious, you know, you're saying that the wheels you build are, are light and strong and sturdy. What make like what would you say makes a good wheel? Well, we're going to get increasingly uh, into that as we, we go on. Just for openers, though, a simple answer is that it's a wheel that will meet your, your expectations. But it's, of course, a lot more complicated than that. So when a person comes to me, asks me to build them a set of wheels, I talk about what kind of use there is going to be for the wheels, what their budget is, the weight of the, of the rider, that makes a difference. And then try to figure out a balance between strength and light weight. So I kind of picture myself juggling all these variables to come up with the best combination of the depth of the rim, the cross-sectional shape, the number of spokes, the type and thickness of spokes, whether these spokes are going to be arrow or round, hub dimensions and things like that. And then you have all manner of customers that come in. And a story that I like to tell is it's kind of a unique human interest story. I had a guy come in a number of years ago, and the guy weighed 525 pounds, and he had a bicycle. But of course, there was no wheels that he could put on that bicycle that would support him, and they kept breaking. Well, I built him a set of wheels with really strong rims, really good hubs, 48 spokes front and rear, and off he went. And about a year later, he came back into the shop with no problems in the in the wheels at all and had lost 160 pounds in the interim just from riding his bike. So that's the kind of a thing that makes me feel pretty good. Saved the guy's life probably. You know, I remember the conversations we would have, the conversations I've had in the past with riders when it comes to wheels are either I'm looking for a race wheel set, something to go faster, or I'm a heavier rider and I need a wheel set that's going to be strong enough for me. And, you know, I remember looking at wheel sets or, or telling the customer, you're going to have to come back in 30 days so we can retension the spokes. And that is just something my mechanics told me to say, you know, to the heavier rider. 
So you're the expert. How important is spoke tension, Bill? Well, spoke tension is is extremely important. I think people often do not understand how important it is and have theories about spoke tension that are falsifiable and are just not correct. There are some things that are intuitive. Spoke tension is one of those. For example, many people believe that if a spoke breaks in a wheel, it's because the tension is too high. And I suppose that's a plausible theory, but it's not correct. Actually, the opposite is true. It takes quite a while to, to explain that, but trust me, spokes do not break because the tension on them is too high. I've studied this very closely, and there's, there's no doubt about it. Now, some wheel builders fancy that they can squeeze spokes or pluck them and know if the tension is right. That is not enough. It has to be measured. And to measure it, you have to have, get ready for this, a tensiometer. Tensiometer. Yeah, I'm always, I'm thinking about like, you know, I always see them squeezing the spokes together or listening to the noise. So that's just, that's not actually doing anything. Well, it's, it's worthwhile, but it's not enough. I do the same thing. You squeeze the spokes, you squeeze them really hard. And that does something which is called stress relieving, which is another matter. So you can get a qualitative sense of what the tension is on the spokes, but you you have to measure it any more than if I said, Heather, go over and squeeze the tire and tell me how, how many pounds of pressure are in it. You wouldn't be able to. You'd have to put a meter on it and find out to really know. And it's the same thing with spoke tension. So the, what is it? Tension, tension meter, tensiometer? Is that something? Tensiometer or tensiometer. It's something which wheel builders have or should to measure the actual tension on the spoke so that they know what it is. And because knowing what it is is really important to make sure it's that the, the correct amount of tension, not too high, but especially not too low. So much more involved than I ever realized. But okay, let's talk about rims because we talk about, I know there's carbon, alloy, steel, and we're talking about rider weight. Can you just give us an overview about rims and you know dive into that a little bit for me? Sure. Interestingly, when you get into this and study it, you find that when it comes to supporting a vertical load, which is what a bicycle mainly does, the potential strength of the wheel depends on the rim. So a wheel is only going to be as strong as the rim allows it to be. Now that assumes that the competent wheel builder built the wheel, which is unfortunately not always true. But the shape of the extrusion matters and the amount of material in the cross-section also. So I've done a lot of compression testing in laboratories where you take rims and wheels into laboratories and put them under stresses so they, they break. And you can learn a lot from watching things break, making measurements and, and observations on how the wheel breaks and, and so on. It's really quite interesting to do. It's also fun. <laughs> Bill, you're making me think we have all these bicycles, you know, coming almost pre-built, let's say, you know, shipped from the factory to bike bicycle retailers. As they're taking the bikes out, normally they just have to put on the handlebars, stem, seat post. Should they be checking the wheels? Should they be putting the wheels into a true stand and checking the spoke pressure? Like any advice here for retailers when they're building up new bikes about like doing, I would almost call it like a, almost a safety check, right? Or well, I think probably the wheels, when they come out of the box, are going to be safe. If they weren't safe, that would create a huge liability problem. And I very occasionally have checked and properly tensioned the wheels on a brand new bike out of a box, but it simply isn't feasible to do that on every wheel. It's time consuming. 
So you have a bike shop that sells five or 10,000 bikes in a, in a year. You just can't take the time to retention every wheel on, on, on every bike. It's just not possible. Now, certainly if I'm building a new wheel, though, I can make sure that I take whatever time is necessary to get the tension perfect. Have you signed up for Ride It Daily Extended Service yet? What are you waiting for? It's the extended service plan for your customers that pays you your shop rate for extended service and warranty claims. Rides is only available to NBDA members, and it's only available at NBDA.com. And then, Bill, I have one more question for you that has come into my mind off this conversation. Say someone's coming into the repair shop with a wheel that we have three or four broken spokes. Is there a, a line that you draw that like this this wheel is not repairable or like how what's a good guide there, Bill? Is it just based on the rim at this point? If the rim's solvable? Well, if something if something traumatic has happened to the to the wheel, like something stuck into the spokes, a stick or a shoe or something like that then probably just replacing the broken spokes is enough. If it is a wheel that has had repeat broken spokes, let's say it has broken one or two spokes before, and those were replaced, and now it's broken one or two more. Those spokes are breaking because of fatigue, and you can be pretty sure that all of the other spokes that haven't broken yet are lined up and are getting ready to. So when faced with a situation like that, it's way better to rebuild the entire wheel because it's expensive to just repair a broken spoke at a time. It's cheaper in the long run to rebuild the whole wheel or maybe put on a better wheel. Yeah. And Bill, we were just talking about the rims, right? And different rim materials. I think I've owned a bike or two where I see like little cracks on the rim near the nipple. Are those just poor quality rims then, Bill? They might not be. They could be. Probably not. There are probably there are a lot of things that can cause cracks, and I did a lot of studying of this one also because I was intrigued by it. If you look at a rim, cracks usually form at the nipples, and they crack along the circumference. Uh, don't go down the side of the rim; they they go they go toward the next toward the next nipple. And it's interesting; it has to do with stress fields on on the on the wheel and how much the tension changes on spokes and how that contributes to to the stress. But it has a lot to do w- more with how the wheel is built and if the tension is set correctly. Now, having said that, eventually everything is going to fail. But a, a well-built wheel with a good rim sh- should last a very, very long time. If the rim is cracked, those cracks just get worse. They never heal themselves. Mm-hmm. So any crack, however small, is a is a reason to rebuild the wheel right then. Now, carbon's interesting. I was going to say, uh, tell me about carbon. Carbon <laughs> is uh, is really very light, and, and you were and you probably going to ask me about that, weren't you? I, that was where I was going next. I was like, what about carbon? <laughs> carbon is really light and it's really strong, so you're you're getting the both of best of both worlds there. So let's say you take two rims, an aluminum rim and a carbon rim, and they have the same depth and the same cross section. The carbon rim is going to weigh considerably less, perhaps 50% less, because density, the density of carbon is much lower. But interestingly, Heather, weight is not that crucial if you want to go fast. Everybody assumes that weight is everything. It's, it's really not. So here is something that I explain to customers all the time, and it's, it's very convincing because it's true. At whatever speed you're riding, 
most of your power is just pushing air out of the way. It's the same thing if you're driving your car. Most of the gasoline that is being burned by the car is just in pushing air out of the front of the car. Now, the power increases exponentially with speed. So if you're riding your bike at 15 miles an hour and you want to go up to 20 miles an hour, you have to put in a very great more amount of power. It's not a linear relationship. And what that means is that reducing aerodynamic drag means pushing less air out of the way gives you more speed at the same power output. So power is measured in watts. And if you can get the same speed out of 225 watts as you can get out of 250 watts by reducing your drag, that's an enormous gain. So aero wheels are the best way to do that. And carbon rims are the best shapes for doing that. I could spend a whole day talking about that and would, would thoroughly enjoy doing it too. <laughs> I do love the look of a carbon wheel set. And, you know, you, your brain makes you think it's fast. You know, I remember one year I got a Dura-Ace wheel set that didn't have, you know, wasn't carbon, but was smooth and nice. But yeah, there's something about that carbon wheel set. Bill, it, you- is, it, it is fast. I have I have customers coming back and telling me they're going at the same power. They're going two or three miles an hour faster with the new carbon wheels. It's and comfortable. <laughs> they're so sexy. Bill, were you telling me when we were out at the cab to show that maybe until just a few years ago, you were a chemistry professor teaching organic chemistry at, for a college, right? Yes, that's right. I have no I really idea. <laughs> so many levels. I really enjoyed it. Pardon me? So many levels to you, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, chemistry is something I've always been interested in, and organic chemistry, the probably the most feared undergraduate course, is one of my one of my loves. And it helps me understand carbon composites, that's for sure, and certain things about material science. And I didn't have to start my research by learning the whole metric system and the SI systems because I learned all that from all the teaching I've done and. By the way, I wish the U.S. would get on board with the metric system, but I'm not holding my breath. (laughs) (laughs) Just before we started this podcast, we were talking off record and you were describing to me that, you know, as as a teacher, you get the opportunity to like even relearn. And I could tell you really like teaching, don't you? I really do. Yeah. And you do you do get to do a lot of relearning. You have to to make sure that what you're saying is correct. So I teach classes in how to build wheels. They're one on one classes, just one student at a time. And uh, that works out really quite well because I can watch the student like a hawk and make sure that the wheel comes out perfect every time. And I make a lot of videos, too, that help explain things. People like to see something explained in a video especially if it's a complicated topic, instead of just reading words to describe some phenomenon, because you hear the term, people say, well, I'm a visual learner. Well, everybody's a visual learner up to a point, I think. And I've gotten pretty good at making my own graphics to go with the explanations I provide. Yeah. You know, Bill, I remember when we were speaking at the show, we were talking specifically about retailers and you were actually at the show giving seminars. So, you know, teaching And we were just, I think our conversation went over about how beneficial to the bottom line of the store wheel building is. And there's profit potential in wheels, correct? Oh, it's really unbelievable. So we we have new customers and repeat customers coming into the store all the time to either get wheels repaired, rebuilt, or to buy new ones for having me to build 
some new wheels for them. In the year 2000, I built about a thousand wheels. I mean, it was incredible. The margins are incredibly good too. And that's probably more important than anything. So I am turning out $2,000 wheel sets at a 50% margin, which is pretty good. Now, you're not going to get that with these pre-built, so, so-called, you know, boxed or boutique wheels. They just not, those wheels can be good. But if you're interested in margin, you make a higher profit margin if you build them yourself because you also get the markup on all the components. And as far as custom wheels are concerned, customers like the options. So maybe they want to have to match the color of the bike or their college colors or something. They want to have red hubs and blue nipples or whatever. And all of that is possible if they have some particular bling they want to put into the bike. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like, there's so many different hubs out there. And you know, we really, it is fun to customize your bike. That profit potential is huge. You know, I'm thinking of retailers now being like, we don't have a wheel builder, we can't put the time, you know, all those red flags that come out up why we can't do this. But let's talk about that. So if retailers around the country want to create these centers of excellence in building custom wheels, do you have advice to get started, Bill? Sure, I think absolutely, and let me explain that just a little bit in in the fullness it deserves. Many people think of wheel building as an art. In fact, you mentioned that in the introduction, and there is an artistic component to it. But the more you do it, the more you realize it's mainly a very exacting mechanical procedure. And my belief is that wheel builders should have a deep understanding of the structure of wheels, what forces are active, how those interact what makes a wheel strong, the difference between rim brake and disc brake, wheel spoke thickness, tension, and, and things like that. So I would say that knowledge of a little physics is very useful, at least at the conceptual level. And these things that, that I know are learnable and they are teachable. So, and I would suggest to you that, let's say a customer is contemplating buying some expensive wheels. I would suggest that that customer who is thinking about plopping down $3,000 for a high-end custom wheel set is going to be favorably impressed by the wheel builder who can discuss wheels at a technical level. I think that makes a difference. And I think there's a need for an advanced wheel building school that focuses on that underlying science. So people who are already wheel builders, so already know how to build a wheel, can advance their skills to a higher level I have the material already put together pretty much, but I think what we're lacking is a national organization that would sponsor perhaps a three-day seminar. Wow, now you've got my brain turning, <laughs> Bill. <laughs> like I think this is a great thing that we, you know, maybe even the MBDA can help with retailers and you as a partner. Are you available as a consultant to other bicycle retailers that might want to achieve some of the same success you have achieved at your shop? Oh, sure. I guess I would prefer they not be in the Washington, D.C. area, you know, right next to where I am to generate competition for my own store. But otherwise, yes, I would be would be very happy to do that. So, Bill, just another interesting thing we spoke about earlier, some of the opportunities that you've had, you know, acting as a consultant. Did you say you went to a factory in the U.S. recently as a consultant for something that they were doing? I did. And it was very, uh, very worthwhile for them because they had some smart guys there, but they weren't as experienced as I am. And I was able to give them some good pointers and some good direction on how to do things 
a little bit better than maybe they had been contemplating. I enjoy doing that because, well, I like talking about wheels. I can nerd out about wheels for hours at a time and enjoy it. And so, sure, having an opportunity to talk to other people that have similar interests is something I really eat up. And consumers, you know, there's, I don't feel like there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of solutions out there for, you know, as we expand the word cyclist for wheels that are more diverse for riders of different weight. And this is another area that you could consult shops. I feel like shops really struggle on making sure that they have the, what rim to use or, you know, what spokes to use. So you're available as a consultant in many regards. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I am. And I think, honestly, most people know that if they buy a bike, no matter how good the bike is, the lowest quality part of the bike is probably going to be the wheels. So even if it's an excellent bike, the wheels are somewhat less than excellent. So it's always there's always an opportunity. And most people that are familiar with the business will will say that if you want to upgrade your bike, the most logical, most beneficial place to upgrade the bike is probably with the wheels. And I certainly believe that. I believe that too. Well, I guess, Bill, would you share your contact information? I mean, I was on your website last night, but if someone wants to get in touch with you, do you have an email to share or a phone number? Sure. I'll I'll provide both. My email address is bill at billmoldwheels.com. And that's mold, M-O-U-L-D, like it sounds, bill at billmoldwheels.com. And my cell phone number is 703-946-3806. And if people want me to call them, I'm happy to do that. So if someone sends me an email and they say, hey, could you call us? Uh, We ask some questions if they provide their phone number. I will do that. And for me, it would be an honor to help another shop get up to speed on building uh, wheels. I'm really honored to do that. So I wouldn't charge much. Bill, I think you're amazing. Yeah, on your website last night, which is billmoldwheels.com, you know, there is a wheel building school page and it, it speaks on how you do one-on-one class for students and also a digital copy of the book. I mean, I think this is a no-brainer for anyone who wants to know more about wheels to learn from someone who, I mean, Bill, you've been doing this for so long, right? It's like you have so much, you've seen a lot, I'm sure. I'm still learning. I'm still learning on this. Not a day goes by that I learn don't learn something new about bicycle wheel. Now, Bill, will you be at any of the other uh, the other upcoming Cab to Shows, Cab to West, Cab to East? I will be at those shows, and I'm going to be giving at each one four different technical presentations, four different presentations on four different topics. There will be two the first day and, and two the second. So there's a lot of opportunity there. And, of course, I'll be on the floor a lot, too. So if people want to corral me, um, I'm happy to talk to them as well. Yeah, and those shows are free for retailers. So Cab to West is an, an Ontario Convention Center out in California, early October. And then Cab to East is in December. And it'll be great to have Bill there. It's free for you, free, free for your staff, and a great opportunity to meet Bill in person. Bill, thank you for coming on Bicycle Retail Radio. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Heather, for the opportunity. Oh my God. So that is it. I invite you to connect with me and come on Bicycle Retail Radio, share your story with our listeners. If you'd like Bill's contact information, please send me an email. If you didn't get a chance to write it down, I'm heather at mbda.com. I can connect you both. Check out our website. There's lots of great webinars coming up, member networking meetings. Don't forget to support the show by sharing your favorite episode with your friends on social media. Thank you for listening and we'll see you back here soon. And with this, we go. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. 
For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. Thank you.